Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. The scripture reading this morning is from Luke 1, 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, I have never felt more like Batman than that video. Wow. (laughs) I want to welcome you all again this morning to Creekwood United Methodist Church. Um, As we are worshiping together, we are starting our new sermon series today called Teach Us to pray, and we are in the um, liturgical season called Lent, if you would like to use that phrase at your next party to sound really smart. Um, If you missed this week's devotional email or our Ash Wednesday service, I'll remind you that Lent is the 40 days between Ash Wednesday and the Saturday before Easter, not including Sundays. And during the season of Lent, um, it's been long-standing church tradition to observe 40 days of fasting or preparation, prayer, generosity, right before we celebrate the resurrection at Easter. And the reason that we um, don't count Sundays in that 40 days is that Sundays are always supposed to be little Easter's for us. We celebrate the resurrection every seven days, and we do that together. And so during Lent, it's been a long-standing tradition of the church for hundreds of years to absorb some kind of fast, to give something up for 40 days. Some people choose to abstain from food until sundown one day a week. Others give up television, social media, unnecessary spending, sugar, or anything else that might distract us from our relationship with God. With giving something up, some people also um, like to take something on to strengthen their relationship with God, like a new devotional, a spiritual discipline, or even just a new habit. At Creekwood, this Lenten season, we are turning our focus towards our prayer life. And every Sunday morning, we're going to examine a different prayer from the New Testament 
and see how it can be applied to our own prayer life in 2022 to help us in our relationship with God. So today we are focusing on how you pray before events in your life. How many of you here pray before you eat a meal? Or just lie? Yep, okay. (laughs) Or how many of you pray before you have a really big test or a big interview or a big meeting? How many of you pray before a medical procedure? How many of you pray before you go to bed or on the way to school? And how many of you pray before you start your day? We're going to be examining our prayer life for the next 40 days. And I invite you to open your hearts and open your minds to exploring praying in ways maybe you haven't done before. So hopefully you recognize this passage that Barbara read for us this morning. Um, It's a prayer by Mary, the mother of Jesus. And you typically hear it during Advent, our season right before Christmas time. And the Gospel of Luke does a really great job to give us the stories of the women in the Gospels and their interactions with Jesus that some of the other Gospels leave out. And so most of our Christmas and Advent stories come from these first couple of chapters of how Luke tells about the story of Jesus' birth. So, in case you haven't read the Gospel of Luke in its entirety lately, we're going to review what's been happening up to this point before Mary's prayer. So the angel Gabriel goes to visit a guy named Zechariah, who is a priest, and he tells Zechariah that he's going to have a son. Now, this comes as a very big surprise to Zechariah because he and his wife, Elizabeth, did not have any children and assumed they were barren because, well, they weren't getting any younger. And then six months later, the angel Gabriel goes to visit Mary, and she tells her that she's going to have a son. And this comes as a big surprise to Mary because she's engaged to a carpenter named Joseph, and, well, Mary was a virgin. And so Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. We find out from the Gospel of Luke that they are related. And in my family, if you don't know how you're related, you just say cousin. So Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. Mary rushes to Elizabeth's house. And when she gets there, the baby that is inside of Elizabeth's tummy leaps or kicks And if you've ever carried a baby, you know the first time that that happens, how um, odd and surprising and absurd and wonderful that feeling is. And Elizabeth, in that moment, Scripture tells us, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth blesses Mary, recognizes what God has done for her. And then we get to this passage for today where then Mary sings a song of praise. And again, at your next party, if you really want to impress people, it's called the Magnificat. And there are a lot of ways to break down and examine Mary's prayer here, but for our purposes today, we're going to look at three different movements of the Magnificat and how they might apply to our prayer lives today. So three lessons from Mary's prayer. The first one is this. Mary praises God. We see this in the first two verses of this section, verses 47 through 49. 
my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. In these two verses, Mary says a lot of things while rejoicing and praising God. She thanks God for the blessing that she has been trusted with of a son. She affirms God by using quite a few different names for God. She calls God Lord. She calls God Savior. She calls God the Mighty One. Each of these names for God have different meanings. And Mary uses them all very intentionally as she praises God in this opening section. So when you pray, do you thank God? Have you ever thought to call God a different name so that you might recognize a different attribute or portion of God's character? No single word that we have captures all of who God is and what God does. You can use English words or Hebrew words or Greek words or Aramaic words. And no single one covers all of God. So you could pray using El Roy, which means the God who sees. And this is way back in Genesis 6, the story of um, the Egyptian slave slave girl named Hagar who belonged to Abram and Sarai. And she's stranded in the desert after being mistreated by Sarai. And God comes to Hagar. And Hagar is the first person in Scripture to name God. And she names God El Roy, the God who sees. You could pray and thank God for being El Roy, the God who sees you. Or you could pray using El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God, which is back in Genesis as well. In Genesis 17, when God reminds Abram of the promise that God is making to him, that he is going to have a multitude of generations and a really big family. Even though Abram was questioning because he and Sarai were still childless. Friends, nothing is too difficult for God to be part of in your life. You are a child of the El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. So nothing is too much for God. You are never too much for God. You could pray to call on the El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God, to be with you in your times of doubt and your times of fear. You could pray using the word Adonai, which means Lord or Master. And you see this back in the Old Testament more in the Psalms. You can pray by lifting God up, affirming God as the master and ruler of all creation, but also of your life. That Adonai is more than money. Adonai is more than your status. Adonai is more than your education. God is your Lord. God is your master. God matters more than any 
other thing on this earth. And you have the privilege of knowing that God intimately and closely. So Mary praises God. The second lesson that we can learn from Mary's prayer is that Mary prays some uncomfortable truth. And this is found in verses 50 through 53. God's mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. I love this part of the Magnificat, and I think I like it because sometimes we, we gloss over it. We forget to talk about this part. But there's some really important pieces to what she's saying here. I really hope that this um, sentence does not come as a surprise to you. If so, it's going to be an interesting morning. God does not work the way that the world works. And it's not always comfortable. God has a way of working that I have found is almost always a complete upside down of the rules of the world. By the standards of the world, we should be divided. We should be divided by race, gender, economic status, ability, and national origin. But God calls us to be united as Christ's body. By the standards of the world, we are judged for our accomplishments against one another as if it's a competition. But with God, each has different gifts that belongs to the body of Christ. And one is not more important than the other, and they are all needed. By the standards of the world, there's no reason to listen to anyone who's younger than you are because they have no experience. But with God, the voices of teen children, teenagers, and young adults are not only uplifted, but wildly necessary for the church to do its work. By the standards of the world, there is no reason to help those who are in need. But with God, we are reminded when Jesus tells us that what we do for the least of these, we do to God. With God, we are commanded to help those in need, to return a portion of our finances to God, to give our time to God's mission in the world, and to think of others before thinking of ourselves. By the standards of the world, we are to be individualistic, seeking out our own path for life, no matter who or what gets in the way. But with God, we're called to be in community with one another. We're called to slow down. We're called to know other parts of God's image and share in life together with others. By the standards of the world, we are allowed to hate people who hurt us, we are allowed to mistreat that which we do not understand without any consequence. And we are allowed to withhold love until it is earned. But with God, we are to remember that the same grace that is extended to us that is so amazing is extended to everyone else. 
We are called to offer grace and to ask questions about that which we do not understand with a genuine curiosity. And we are to consider love the very base starting point with every person we meet. Mary says that God shows strength and scatters the proud. God brings up the powerful or God brings down the powerful and lifts up the lowly. God fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich away empty. We are on all sides of these friends. We are the proud, we are the powerful, we are the rich. We are also the lowly and the hungry. So when you pray, do you ever consider truth that makes you really uncomfortable? Do you acknowledge the privilege that you maybe have to live in a democratic country with a vote for your leadership? To have a place that you call home with walls and a roof and air conditioning when it's hot outside? That we have more than enough income to take care of our basic needs plus a little extra for extravagancies. That we have an education that puts us at the top of the social pecking order more than 98% of the world. Or a job that's title alone earns you respect in a room. Do you consider that the truly amazing grace of God is extended to you and all of your faults and all of your mistakes, but is extended to those who hurt you the most? What if in your prayer life, like Mary, you named truth that maybe made you a little bit uncomfortable? What is truth about God? Mary prays some uncomfortable truth. The third thing that we can learn from Mary's Magnificat is that Mary lets the Holy Scriptures guide her prayer. Verses 54 and 55, the closing of the Magnificat, point to this. God has helped his servant Israel in remembering of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Mary brings in a story from the Old Testament about Abraham and the promises that God made to Abraham's family. Now Mary is a good Jewish girl, so she is quoting a story that she's probably heard every Sunday morning thousands of times since she was like two. She integrates a biblical story with her present circumstances. And she does it herself. She ends her prayer with the assurance that she has about God's character because her life is saturated with Scripture. So when you pray, do you let Scripture guide you? Do you remind yourself of the character and promises of God that you see and know and study in the Old and New Testaments? Are you able to affirm truths about God because you know what Scripture says? So every week during this series, we are going to give you all a new prayer practice that we would really like you to try 
during your prayer time, whether it's on your own or with your small group or even with your family. And some of these are a little more outside of our comfort zone than others. But we know that each week will hopefully be something meaningful for each of us. And so this week we want to talk about the centering prayer. The purpose of the centering prayer is right in its name. It's a time used to center yourself before something. Before you go to work, before doing a Bible study, before an important meeting, or even before you go to bed. With a centering prayer, you, cho- you choose a word. If you're like me, you need a phrase, because I'm not just a one-word person. You choose a word or a phrase as a symbol of how you want to engage with God in that time. And this could be anything that's meaningful for you. Your word could be something that has been on your heart lately. Your word could take inspiration from Mary's song and could be a word of praise, an uncomfortable truth, or something you know from Scripture. But when you do a centering prayer, you sit and you close your eyes and you introduce your sacred word or phrase. And when your mind wanders, you release what you need to and return to that word. I got the chance to see Rob Bell, who is an author and and speaker this week, and and he hit on this concept really well. Your brain releases thoughts naturally. If I told you all to think of a song right now, what song are you thinking of? Okay, okay, now think of a color. Okay, was the song still playing in your head when you thought about the color? No. Your brain released that thought automatically. So in the centering prayer, because overthinkers, this one's hard for us. In the centering prayer, when your mind wanders, when something else comes up, when Bon Jovi's living on a prayer comes up in the middle of your centering prayer, you just release it. You come back to your sacred word. You come back to your sacred phrase. You're not doing it wrong if your mind wanders. You just get to practice doing what your brain already does which is releasing that thought and coming back to something else. Now here's the thing. During our Ordinary Love series, David made us all stand up and talk to one another twice. And uh, he said, introverts, you're going to be really uncomfortable for a while. So this is um, Carrie Lynn's Revenge. Uh, Extroverts, you're going to be uncomfortable for a while. Because for a centering prayer, you take about 20 minutes to be silent and to meditate on your sacred word or phrase. Just you and your word praying to God. Now I know that for some of us silence is like painful. It's like deafening. And so maybe if playing, playing music or playing ambient noise underneath that works for you and that's what you need to do this. But you need to do it in your own space with no talking, just you, your sacred word or phrase, praying to God. How many times a week do you let your mind slow down and focus on one thing? How many times even in your life, 
have you ever slowed down and let your mind focus on one thing? The centering prayer is a great way to try it. And it may not work for some of you. This may not be, may not be your thing. But during this series, we want you to just try. Maybe it'll surprise you. Maybe it'll be wildly meaningful, wildly formative in ways you aren't even expecting. When you engage in the centering prayer, we engage in the prayer that goes before us, and not just before we have a meal or before we have a test. But the centering prayer goes before us in so many other parts of our life. And so this week, I want you to take some inspiration from Mary. I want you to pray before, before something. I want you to try the centering prayer and praise God using simple names to talk about different attributes of God or wrestling with an uncomfortable truth or even just opening this and letting Scripture be your guide. We're going to move to a time of communion here in just a second, and I actually want us to practice this at the communion table today. And so as we're going through the liturgy, I want you, and it's not even going to be 20 minutes, (laughs) I want you to think of a sacred word or phrase, something that's meaningful to you, something that you need, something that somebody else needs. And as we're doing the liturgy together and as everyone is coming forward to get their elements, I want you to do nothing else but focus on your word or phrase. We're going to practice a centering prayer together as we partake in the communion table together as well. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Mary. We thank you for the lessons that we learn from her prayer, the ways in which we can praise you and call you different names. We call you El Roy, we call you El Shaddai, we call you Adonai. We call you God, we call you Lord, we call you Father. We thank you for the uncomfortable truth that you put in our hearts that we can wrestle with. We thank you for the rules of the world that you flip upside down. And God, we thank you for giving us the gift of Scripture, the things that we can learn and know about you because of the stories that have been written down and passed from generation to generation. And God, I ask that as we all seek to engage with you in different ways in our prayer life, that we may be willing to try to try something new, to try something uncomfortable. We ask that you would honor our effort. Be with us as we continue in this hour of worship. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.